Hello and welcome to The Catch. I'm Matt Hansen, freelance editor with FineBet.com, joined today by writer and contributor for FineBet.com, Brad Mealy. Hi, Matt. It's good to be uh, back for another uh, episode of The Catch, and we've got tons of uh, great stuff to go over, especially with we're in the middle of the throes of the NFL postseason, so we've got plenty of content to go over this week uh, in regards to that. Yes, we do. And we are bringing you the 18th installment of this series where we will discuss everything going on in the world of sports that we can fit into 60 minutes. Throughout this series, we will cover a range of topics, including sports betting and fantasy, along with keeping up with current events, trade rumors, and more. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at finebet underscore news and on Instagram at finebet, just one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching FindBet. All of our newest content can be found on FindBet.com. This week, you can find NFL DFS start and sit recommendations for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, along with betting advice uh, for the divisional round as well. New basketball content is coming throughout the season, and keep an eye out for our live streams on our social media accounts. Yep. Uh, Ariana and Ashmir Prasad do Sunday Slay, giving you a rundown of what's happening in the NFL. And Dan Tran, Sandeep Shandok, and Henry Curry are hosts for Three in the Key, where they discuss the current state of affairs of the NBA. But let's go on to the main reason that we're here today, Brad, and that's to talk about what we saw in the opening super wildcard weekend of the NFL playoffs, and then also to kind of give a little preview of the, the four games that are on the slate for the divisional round coming up this weekend. So the first game uh, this past weekend was on Saturday, and we saw Indianapolis take on the Buffalo Bills. The Colts came in as the seventh seed in the AFC and the Bills representing as the two seed. And what we saw was a little bit different of a game than I think a lot of us were expecting. Um, you know, I don't think the Colts are a bad team by any means, but I think that, you know, talent wise, the Bills are, are far superior. Uh, but we saw a close game that really the Colts could have stole it away uh, right down to the very end. Uh, but the Bills kind of squeak out of there with a win 27 to 24 and move on uh, to face Baltimore in the divisional round. Brad, what did you see out of your Bills in this one? So it was it was another kind of classic Bills game where they had a slow start. Uh, the, to start off, the Colts did a really good job of flipping the field position. The first four or five Bills uh, offensive drives uh, start places were on, inside the 10-yard line or inside the 20-yard line. So they did a really good job of, of flipping the field. Um, but really, it just kind of – the Bills seemed – um, like they were running an offense that they didn't normally run. Uh, at one point, they had run three straight run plays and punted in the second quarter, and that is just not their offense. Um, so I think Brian Dable was trying to get a little bit too cute. The Colts were basically trying to were basically daring the Bills to run. They were definitely playing the pass, and I think the Bills struggled for some reason to get the run going against that. The offensive line lost some one-on-one -on -one battles, um, and then by the time – the end by the end of the second quarter, when the Bills had scored and it was 14-10 going in the half, they kind of went back to their pass offense, and that really seemed to click well for them. And then, for some reason, the defense just decided to, to lay down in the third quarter, and the Colts had two touchdown scoring drives 
in a total of, I think, just over three minutes. So it's not really ideal when it came down to that. And the Bills couldn't close out the game and almost lost the game on a Josh Allen fumble um, late in the game. Uh, but they pulled it out. Uh, I think that that was one game they really had to get off of their kind of get off of their chests and, and be able to win that first playoff game. And I think they'll be much more looser, more loose, I guess, the correct grammar on that, to come in coming into the Baltimore game this week. Um, and I think that they're going to be uh, – I think it's going to be a much better game from start to finish from, from them offensively and even defensively. Yeah, and it'll have to be. Um, you know, going into this last week, both of us took the Bills. I can't remember who, what we did against the spread, but the Colts did cover the spread. Um, so for the betters out there that took the Colts, you know, they weren't having too good of a day when they got the final results in from that game. Uh, Phillip Rivers threw for 309 and two touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor looked really good, the, the rookie Indianapolis running back. He had 78 yards on the ground and, and a score. Um Michael Pittman for throughout the game, it seemed like he was getting some big plays in, um, but he was also somebody that I recognized having a couple of big drops, um, which was something that Phillip Rivers, I felt dealt with throughout the game of a lot of receivers uh, dropping some, some very catchable balls. Uh, one guy that never got going was T.Y. Hilton, and that definitely hampered the Colts passing attack. Um, I'd have to go back and see how much he was being guarded um, by Trey, but Still, it's just the Colts never really looked like they were in it, um, even though the score was close. Josh Allen with 378 yards of total offense and three total touchdowns. Um, Stefan Diggs hooked up for six catches, 128 in the touchdown. As you mentioned, the, the Bills defense, um, you know, kind of had some some difficulties there in the third quarter. But overall, um, and down the stretch of the regular season, looking much improved from what we saw early in the year giving them a much better chance to match up against the potential matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs and that explosive offense. But one thing you touched on, Brad, that I, I really think is going to be a key for them, and which will be more difficult now that I believe Zach Moss has got placed on the IR, which takes out, you know, one of the running backs they've been leaning on heavily in the rushing attack. But the Bills, to me, in order to have a chance to beat the Ravens, their best uh, approach of attack is going to be to establishing the run game. Is Devin Singletary going to be able to be that guy for Buffalo or are they really going to have to rely on Josh Allen just being great both through the air and on the ground? I think you 100% have to continue to do what got you there. So I think the Bills aren't going to go into this game and say, okay, like we need to try to establish the run game. I think that they will pass to open up the run, if that makes any sense. So um, Singletary will be the lead guy. He's going to get 15 carries a game, but there's no Bills running back the entire year that has more has had more than um, has had 20 carries or more. So the running game isn't going to be a big part of it, but I think that's going to be what's going to be interesting is how they use um, Singletary and pass protection because Zach Moss was really good at pass protecting as a running back. Um, so that may take a hit a little bit. Um, they may have to keep a tight end in to uh, – shift the coverages to that side or chip a little bit um, to help Singletary with pass protection. Um, but I think – I still think the Bills should go out and they're going to pass to run the ball. So um, <clears throat> they signed Devonta Freeman this week to the practice squad. They still have Kenny Stills on the practice squad as well. Um, so those two players can be brought up. Um, but I think this week, I think it's going to be the Singletary show. He'll pretty much – I don't think any other running back will register a carry this week. 
Probably not. But we'll touch on uh, the Bills and the Ravens matchup here in a little bit. But let's keep going through what we saw this past weekend. The second game on the slate we saw were the Rams, who came in as the sixth seed in the NFC. Uh, they went to Seattle and handled business and took out the three-seed Seahawks, 30-20. to 20. Um, Brad, I believe that you had the Rams last week. Is that correct? I did. And just to go back, we were talking about the spread of the Colts game. I did have the Colts covering as well. I thought 10.5 was too oh, much. Man. That I was right. So, but yes, I, like I said, I just the Seahawks. They played exactly how I thought they would play. They just didn't play inspired. Russell Wilson wasn't as sharp. Um, the offense was just stagnant. And to give up thirty points to a Rams offense that's starting a guy who, who was, you know, taking finance classes a month ago in college, <laughs> like, I, it's just inexcusable to be honest. And it's interesting now that the Seahawks have parted ways with Brian Schottenheimer after such a fast start to the year, after scoring the most points in franchise history, um, it sounds like that there was some tension between him and Pete Carroll there near the end of the year, and it boiled over into that playoff game. But, mm-hmm. you know, like we talked about, Jared Goff was even forced into the game because he was the emergency QB. John uh, Wolford suffered a, a stinger in the game, which he should supposedly be okay for this week if he's pushed into action. Um, and Cam Akers was amazing in that game. Yes. Um, so, you know, like we talked about, Russ was just – he didn't play well. Um, he was only 11 of 27 for 174 yards, and he threw a pick six as well in that game. And uh, just the Seahawks, I don't know. They need to pick an identity on offense, whether that's a passing offense or a running offense. They have the keys to be able to do both. Um, but they're trying to flip-flop back and forth, I think. And, and, you know, personally, I think you just need to do what got you there, and that was – Uh, rely on Russell Wilson to make plays for you. I agree and I disagree because, and now I'll I'll preface this by admitting that I am a Chris Carson truther and he's somebody that I know he's not a sexy name in fantasy and I know that he gets injured a lot, but this year he averaged per rush above his career average. Uh, His career average is 4.6 yards per carry this year and and limited action, mind you, uh, he did average 4.8. And again, in this game, he was right around there. I I think he was right in that 4.6 to 4.8 yards per carry, which is really good. Um, And they did utilize him. You know, I think he ended up with 70-some yards rushing. Uh, But in a game where it was never really a blowout and Carson was running well and and Wilson was struggling, you know, I just, again, question, as I have throughout the season – you know, why are they going away from the run game when, you know, headed into the season, I believe it was for the past three years, they, they were top five in the league and, and rush attempts and, and, and overall rushing statistics as a team. I just, I don't get it. And maybe that's why you saw Schottenheimer uh, being released um, that it kind of went against Carroll's whole offensive mentality uh, and game plan. But it's just weird to me with, with all the talent they have there. Now that DK Metcalf has, has ascended into pretty close, you know, to being considered in, in the elite rank of receivers to add to Tyler Lockett there. Um, a couple of decent pass catching tight ends, you know, it just, none of it really made sense, but Hey, you know, great call on that, on that upset there, Brad, because I did not see that one coming. Yeah. I mean, I just, I guess I wouldn't sit here and say, Oh, I, I called that and I, I knew the Rams were going to win, but I just saw the opportunity for the Rams to, go into Seattle and get an upset with the way that the Seahawks have been playing. And it turned out, you know, that's kind of how it played out. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, great job on that. Let's go to a game that I thought we may have had the opportunity to see an upset in, and that was uh, for the Washington football team to, I thought, maybe get a, a steal one away from the Bucs. Uh, but, but Tampa Bay went into Washington, they took care of business, and they, they took that one 31 to 23. I believe that we did both take the Bucs um, to win that game uh, last week, uh, but not, it wasn't close for the reasons that we thought. You know, I, I had been talking up that defensive front of of Washington and, and they did play well, but just not well enough, but it was really uh, the play of their backup quarterback, Taylor Heineke, that kept that team in the game until the bitter end. Um, right. What do you make of, of Heineke and, and, and the performance of that Washington football team uh, up against a, you know, I think everybody can agree pretty superior Bucks team. Well, I think Heineke has submitted, uh, submitted himself for a few years to get a chance to be a backup quarterback somewhere in the NFL. Um, I think he played, you know, throwing for over 300 yards against a top 10 Tampa Bay defense. Uh, that's impressive. And, and maybe that's more of a reflection on Tampa's uh, preparation for that game than it was Heineke's performance, but he still had to make those throws. And uh, you saw he uh, basically uh, went all out on a rushing touchdown and barely touched the pylon to get them a, a touchdown, you know, in the game and keep the score close. And, um, it was, you know, obviously it was an inspired performance. I thought that it was interesting that Antonio Gibson wasn't as effective. And I think that probably he's not been the same runner that he was early in the year, just because he's coming back from that turf toe injury. Mm -hmm. um, Which is a difficult injury for, for, you know, especially running backs and receivers who have to kind of stop and, and turn on a dime. Um, it is a difficult injury to come back from. Yeah, and he's not a running back that, you know, maybe if you were a, a Derrick Henry type running back where you're kind of a one cut and go or just a bruiser, yep. he's a guy that that relies on that finesse part of the game to get him um, in a position to be successful. Um, so we are – I thought the game – again, how much we lamented last week about this game being in primetime. It turned out to be actually a really exciting game because it was close. Yeah. Still don't think it should have been prime time, but again, <laughs> one of those things where it was a backup quarterback, a backup to the backup to the backup, however you want to look at that, you know, quarterback situation in Washington. Um, but then you had Tom Brady come out and he played well again at 381 yards, two touchdowns. Um, you know, Mike Evans ended up playing after we thought he had a major knee injury last week mm -hmm. um, in the finale. Um, and both Godwin and Antonio Brown had touchdown catches as well. So it was a really good performance for the Buccaneers who needed it. And now they've got, you know, an exciting matchup this week against the Saints. Yeah, I mean, you kind of look at this, and I think you are right. And, and you didn't flat out say it, but I think you're insinuating, you know, the Bucs may have been kind of looking right through Washington, um, knowing that more than likely they'd be looking at uh, New Orleans on the other end of this game. Um, but, you know, Tom Brady didn't let them be distracted. He went out there and, again, put out another spectacular performance uh, in the playoffs. TB12 has been great all year. Um, I feel like it's very low-key. Like, his season, <laughs> he had 40 touchdown passes. I think he was third in passing yards. Uh, he had over 4,000. Uh, but all the talk this year, you know, early was about Russell Wilson. Then it kind of shifted to Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, all Tom Brady has been doing is just taking care of business there in Tampa. And he obviously has his eyes set on another Super Bowl trophy. And it 
they keep getting performances from Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, and Leonard Fournette like they did against Washington, it's going to be difficult for anybody in the NFC to stop them. Uh, but let's move over to an AFC game that included Lamar Jackson, the reigning MVP. Um, the five-seed Ravens went into Tennessee, and they just absolutely shut down King Henry. Uh, the Ravens walked out with a 20 to 13 victory. I believe we both had the Ravens last week. Uh, the Ravens also beat the spread. They were laying three on the road. So those were three points that they just did not need. Uh, what did you see out of Lamar Jackson, Brad? Do you think it's enough to have more confidence in, in him going into this game against the Bills? Or do you think it was just kind of Lamar did what he had to do to win that game, but it wasn't enough to really worry you as a Bills fan? I definitely liked a matchup against the Steelers more than I liked against the Ravens. I just think Lamar Jackson is the X factor. Um, I think where we're at with Lamar and the Ravens, Tennessee didn't have a very good defense and the Ravens were only able to put up 20 points on them. Yep. So credit, credit the, the Ravens defense for holding the Titans back and keeping Derrick Henry in check because that's the key to their offense. Um, but what happens in the Buffalo game this week if the Ravens get down into a 14 nothing hole 17 nothing hole midway through the second quarter is Lamar going to be able to pass them back into the game or are they going to have to continually rush the ball when you rush the ball you speed the game up and you keep games close so teams that have good rushing defenses for the most part that game is going to be close into the third and fourth quarter because that speeds the game up the, it, it minimizes scoring chances for the other team if you have long sustained drives so are the, Ram, are the Ravens going to have to go into passing mode with Lamar? And can Lamar rise to the occasion with that, with those wide receivers? And not saying Lamar can't make those throws, but what happens if the Bills shut down Marquise Brown this week? Is Willie C going to step up? Is it going to be Miles Boykin? Do those uh, – Devin DuVernay, are those wide receivers enough to scare the Bills into, you know, the production that could come from them? I don't know. So – for me, I thought Lamar had a great game. 100, obviously, 100 and, uh, th over 300 yards of total offense is good. It's going to be – if the Ravens can hold the Bills' offense in check, that's really going to help the, what they want to do, I think, in this game. Weather is going to play a big role as well, too, because of, of the, the thing. So, for me, looking at Lamar, I thought he did enough to win the game last week, and their defense really is what I thought shined more than what Lamar did. But, um, again – I don't know how that game looks if Derrick Henry runs all over the Ravens and Lamar's forced to pass in that game. So it's, that's the interesting part for me. I don't think that he, the Ravens never really had to stray away from their game plan because uh, the score was always so close. And so that's what I'd be interested to see is if the Ravens get into a hole quickly in the next round here, is Lamar going to be able to, to pass them out of the hole when that comes down the line? And that's been the question that's been looming over him for the past, you know, for basically his entire career, honestly. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, over 300 yards of total offense, but only 179 passing. And out of those 179, 109 of those went to Marquise Brown. So as you mentioned, if, you know, that for some reason, Trey White's able to lock down Marquise Brown and takes him out of the offense. It harkens back to what I had been saying since before the start of the season is that the Baltimore front office did a gigantic disservice to Lamar Jackson's development by not giving them, not giving him a legitimate number one receiver in that offense. Because Marquise Brown, 
don't let the numbers fool you. He is not a number one receiver in this league. He doesn't have the size. You know, he has speed, but he doesn't have the size. Uh, I don't believe that he has the route running ability. And, you know, he's basically just a home run hitter that you kind of can line up in the slot or as the number two. Uh, they really missed out on their opportunity to – uh, sign Antonio Brown. You know, we've seen what he's able to still do, um, albeit in that high octane Tampa Bay offense. But you just have to believe, you know, if Antonio Brown's on the Ravens right now, the Ravens are probably going to be in a little bit better position heading into a game against Buffalo that may have to come down to a shootout. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that I think if it comes down to a shootout or if the Ravens get down early, I think that that is really going to be detrimental to what they want to do this week. But we'll see what happens. Uh, again, Ravens had to win. They got they got the monkey off their back, too. They got a playoff win. Lamar Jackson got his first playoff win. So maybe that kind of eases attention a little bit and loosens guys up, and they're not so tense going into this game this week against Buffalo. Yep. And we'll see. We'll talk about them a little bit later on, but let's just finish up on the last two games that we saw on Sunday. The middle game, which was on Nickelodeon, which had tons of slime cannon celebrations going off on the telecast, which was really fun, <laughs> really awesome. Uh, but we saw the Bears, who limped in as the seventh seed in the NFC, uh, have to go to the Superdome and they were, I don't want to say dominated, um, but, you know, the Saints won 21 to 9. It felt like a domination, even though the score line says differently. Uh, it, the Bears were just, honestly, they, they were never in this. I didn't really expect them to be. Uh, one thing I was surprised on was David Montgomery not being able to really get anything going. Um, you know, he was great down the stretch uh, to the end of the regular season, but he only managed 31 yards rushing in this contest. Trubisky did not do himself any favors as he enters free agency this year, because remember the bears did not pick up his fifth year extension. Um, you know, the saints, they took care of business. And while they didn't blow them out of the water, like I thought that they probably should have, uh, the bears do have a good defense, but the biggest thing to take away from this matchup, Brad, in my opinion, is that the saints look like they have all their pieces healthy again. So this was kind of like a pseudo walkthrough for them for their divisional round game against the bucks. But, you know, they have Michael Thomas back, Kamara's back, Drew Brees is back. And really, you know, that's your, that's your, your, your core. That's your Holy Trinity. If you're a saints fan. So, you know, just seeing them all on the field against the bears was a step in the right direction. And, you know, I, we'll talk about the matchup a little later, but I still think that the saints are the favorites to win that matchup. Uh, what did you see out of the bear saints? I thought I saw the Saints as a team that probably could have been upset if the Bears had any semblance of offense in that game. Um, holding the Saints to 21 points is a win if you're the Bears defense. Yeah, you expect your team to score more than 20 points in, in a playoff game, um, and so the Bears had that big uh, kind of reverse pass to um, I can't remember the wide receiver. It was Sims, I think, maybe, um, but. He was actually, he's the wide receiver that punched uh, a guy in a helmet a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Whoever. Javon Wims, that's right. Wims, that was it. Sims, Wims, you know, it's all, all the same, I guess. But um, so he had, he had a wide open touchdown pass early in the game, go right through his hands. Like just legitimately no saint was going to stop him from catching that ball and dropped it. Um, so that for me was the epitome of the bears this year. I mean, it's I feel bad for that Bears defense because again, like we just like I just said, holding the Saints to 21 points, you have to look at that as a win. Um, the Bears had a, had a shot all the way into the third quarter to come out of this game with a win, and they just couldn't get any semblance of offense going. So I think the Saints 
got lucky in that aspect where they, the Bears kind of helped them out a little bit. I think that it would have been a, a closer game. And um, I had talked on the podcast last week about this possibly being an upset game as well, yeah. just because of that Bears defense. And, you know, the defense can only do so much. And um, the Bears got a late touchdown at the end of the game. So really it was 21 to three most of the game. Yeah. Um, and, and so don't let that score, I guess, skew how bad the Bears were on offense that entire basically 58 minutes of that game. It was bad, and but you are right. You know, you got to give props to the Chicago defense because that's one of the hardest offenses to slow down in the entire league. Um, and as I just said, you know, they have all their pieces back now. So, um, you know, good job by them. But, gosh, that offense just, you know, it's a really good example of the difference of, you know, bad teams to good teams and then good teams to great teams. And, and that X factor of the quarterback makes all the difference because when you look at the bears, you know, they, they're definitely more talented on the defensive side of the ball, but you have Allen Robinson there. You have a, a vastly improved David Montgomery, um, you know, even Anthony Miller and Darnell Mooney um, and Javon wins, like some of those ancillary receivers, like they're capable guys. Like they're, there's definitely worse receiving cores in the league. Um, so, you know, what will they do with the quarterback going into next year? We'll see. Uh, we know it's not going to be Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, so I don't know. But let's uh, – speaking of teams not being able to put 20 points on the board, uh, a team that was able to put a lot of points on the board were the Cleveland Browns in the Sunday primetime game of the Wild Card Weekend. And, uh, Brad, you know, I obviously love this game. Um, the Browns scored 28 points in the first quarter. The game really was out of reach most of the time, even though it got a little nervy for Cleveland fans in the second half. Um, but as an outsider, uh, what's your perspective on the performance of the Browns uh, beating the Steelers 48 to 37? I thought we talked earlier in the week off the pod. And then we also talked a little bit on the pod about it. Like the Browns healthy had a legit shot to beat the Steelers. I think the Steelers were one of the weakest three seeds that playoffs may have ever seen. They limped their way into the playoffs at that point. Um, but looking at the game, the quick turnover at the beginning of basically the first play of the game where the, uh, Maurice Pouncey snapped the ball over Roethlisberger's head and the Browns were recovered for a touchdown. That was it. I mean, that right there was the shot that the Browns, hey, we've got a legit shot to, to win this game. Um, but when you score 28 points in the first quarter and it's 28 nothing, really – if your offense has any semblance of, of adequacy the rest of the game, you're going to win that game. And the Steelers made it interesting. Um, there was a uh, – they got it to within, I think it was 11 points or 12 points there late in the third, early in the first, fourth quarter. Yep. Um, but then the Browns ended up running a pick six back, and that pretty much sealed the game. So here's the thing for the Steelers. Now, you can frame this one of two ways. The Browns played inspired football, and they played – they played up to their uh, their ability um, with because of their head coach missing and COVID, you know, situations going on with the team during the week. Or you look at you can look at the Steelers as a complete uh, collapse in the Tomlin area. And I don't think Mike Tomlin would be fired, but Mike Tomlin teams have been known over the past 12, 15 years um, that they play down to their team. They if they're playing a one in fifteen team that they sometimes can barely win that game. They just don't play to their team ability. Now, what, say what you want about the Browns possibly being an inferior matchup to the Steelers. I don't think that was the case. I thought they were pretty evenly matched. But 
the Steel, there's no reason the Steelers should have came into that game and had the miscues that they had with a complete full week of practice, resting their starters and their, their good players for two weeks. There's no reason that that should have happened, and that falls onto the coaching staff of the Steelers. Credit the Browns for playing an inspired game. Kevin Stefanski is not there as your head coach. You don't have your offensive line coach or your assistant offensive line coach, and you go out and you give up two pressures and one hurry the entire game. So, again, I think that is a testament to both teams' preparation, both teams' mindset going into that game of how that game ended up playing out. I mean, based on the comments that we saw from Juju Smith-Schuster, and, and, and don't get me wrong, like, I'm not a Juju hater. I, I think he's a fine, you know, football player. You know, I think that he uh, does a lot of good things in the Pittsburgh community. I know that he's a fan favorite there. Um, so I'm just, you know, framing what I'm about to say off of his comments. But, you know, I believe that his comments about the Browns, you know, they're the, they're the same old Browns. We're not worried about them. You know, it's kind of sloughing it off. You know, the comment that I really found interesting was, you know, just, you know, gray faces over there. Um, and when you have somebody like Baker Mayfield in, in the locker room as your leader, you know, that's somebody that's always played with a chip on his shoulder. You know, really, I really think that those comments drove the Browns, you know, to that performance, uh, because I really, there's no reason for the Steelers to lose that game. Uh, I think Mike Tomlin's a really good coach. I think Ben Roethlisberger, you know, puts up really big stats still. Um, but, I mean, if you're a halfway decent quarterback and you throw 60-plus times in a game, like, you should have that many yards. Um, I don't think Ben Roethlisberger looked very good the entire game, albeit throwing for, I think, over 500 yards. He just missed too many throws, and the Steelers lost that game because of Ben Roethlisberger. I don't, I don't think that you should ever see Ben Roethlisberger in an NFL uniform again, and uh, that also means that the Steelers are going to have to hit the reset button in a big way, in my opinion. I don't think that they're nearly as good as their regular season record represented, and the Browns, you know, they're facing a Browns team that had two of their starting offensive linemen um, away. Uh, they, as you mentioned, with the coaching staff. Uh, and also, you know, props to the coaching staff, Mike Pryfer, uh, Joe Woods, Alex Van Pelt, ev everybody that stepped up. Because as you mentioned, both the uh, lead offensive line coach and the assistant offensive line coach, not in that game. Uh, Joel Batonio, all pro left guard, not in that game. Uh, all pro right tackle. Um, Jack Conklin injured early in that game with a hamstring. He's still day to day. So they had to replace two Pro Bowl linemen. And then the replacement to Joel Batonio also got injured in that game. And a guy that they just signed on Saturday, the day before, had to come in and fill in and did a good job. Uh, and then I think it's Kendall Lamb uh, filled in at right tackle for Jack Conklin, did a phenomenal job. So like just great job all around. Uh, by that, by that organization. Very proud to be a Browns fan after that victory. So much sweeter to get that first uh, playoff victory. Um, and I think it was 25 years over the Steelers. I mean, that's just, that's just poetry. That's the thing. Like it was not like it was like against the Colts or against, you know, the, any other team, but the Steelers, not only did you win your first playoff game, but you won it against your basically arch nemesis. It's like, for me, it would be like the Bills making the playoffs and going in and beating the Patriots to get their first – Tom Brady Patriots, I should say, to get their yeah. first playoff win. Like, it's just got to be an incredible feeling from that. And it was it's exciting. You know, for me, it's it's exciting to see actually these four teams be in the, the conference championship round. It's not the same old Patriots. It's not the same old, um, you know, uh, Chiefs are obviously in it, but you've got the Bills, the Browns, and the Ravens who – Get some new are, blood in there. Exactly. And, and it's young quarterbacks, too. Like, the, the quarterback age, 
you've got three quarterbacks from the 2018 draft that are in the, the division round for the AFC. Um, so that's exciting. And you got one from the 2017 uh, round draft as well. Or am I, I may be a year off with that. Um, but 18 and 19 drafts, I should say. Sorry. Um, so we're – it's exciting. I mean, especially in the AFC, you've got – it's kind of a changing of the guard when it comes to quarterbacks. You know, uh, you've got Ben Roethlisberger who's, who's going out. Um, Tom Brady who is in the NFC now but is out of the division. And there's kind of some new blood that's taking over, which is exciting. It is. It's always nice to see some parity in the playoffs and postseason. And, you know, in most professional sports leagues, we don't get that a lot from year to year. You know, it's it's decade to decade. Um, you know, the, these organizations that are successful, typically they're successful because they have great front offices, great coaching staffs, um, and they have that continuity from year to year. So, you know, we saw the, the Patriots and the Steelers and uh, I don't know, the Cowboys and the Pack. Like we've seen these teams over and over again. And it's great. You know, sustained success is nothing to sneeze at. And it's very impressive. But as a fan, you know, it's great to see some new teams getting in there. We're starting to see that with the NBA. We're starting to see that a little bit with the, with the MLB. Less with the MLB because of, you know, just the way that the finances and everything works in baseball. But it's great to see it in football now, too. It's, it's really exciting. You know, you get to know all these new players that, you know, maybe you knew a little bit about before. But, like, hey, you got to know about them now because they're playoff teams. Um, yep. So, yeah, it's great timing to, you know, if you're not a fan of the NFL, it's great timing to come in now because a lot of these young guys – they're just super exciting and easy to root for. Your Josh Allen's, your Kyler Murray's, your Baker Mayfield. To an extent, I know a lot of people don't like Baker because of all the commercials, but um, I think they're pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but that's reviewing everything we saw from the Super Wild Card Weekend. Brad, before we run out of time, because we have about half, half the show left, let's go to the divisional round matchups that we're going to see this upcoming weekend. Um, we're going to get two games on Saturday. We're going to get two games on Sunday. The first game that we're going to get treated to is on Saturday at 5.35 p.m. Eastern, and it's going to be an NFC matchup where we're going to see the six-seed Rams taking on the top-seed Packers. The Packers are giving up six-and-a-half on this one on the line. Brad, what are the key points to this one? Who do you like? Uh, I think that the Packers have a pretty good shot at winning this game. I think the Rams have a great defense, and you know Aaron Rodgers is, due, is good for one or two games a year where he just kind of lays an egg basically um but for me i think the packers are really well set up actually in the nfc to make it to the super bowl this year um and that's the other than the saints i don't know if there's a team that can really match them from an offensive standpoint and and for me it's offense that wins championships right now um, if you have a top 10 offense top five offense and a just an adequate defense which the the packers do have um, they have a very good shot at, at being very successful and going deep in the playoffs. So um, I think the Packers giving up six and a half is good. You know, you've got uh, the Rams have uh, Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald, Andrew Woodworth um, all have questionable tags, although um, Sean McVay did say Aaron Donald is probably going to be good to go for that game. So um, the Packers offensive line is going to have to step up big time to keep him from taking over the game. Mm-hmm. Um the big X factor is the Rams defense. Can the Rams get a pick six? Can they get some points from their defense that are, are going to help their offense kind of even the playing field uh, against that Packers offense? So uh, for me, I like the Packers. I think it'll be a close game. I think a touchdown is about right. Something like 27, 20, 34, 27 around that, uh, around that 
uh, scoring difference is where I like this game, but I, I do think the Packers are going to be able to, to pull this one out. Yeah, I, you know, it's tough because I wasn't giving the Rams much of a chance against Seattle, but if Cam Akers can put out even close to the performance that we saw from him in the wild card round, you know, that's really what's going to make this offense go. I do agree. I think that the game's going to be closer than what probably a lot of people are expecting here. I think a touchdown is right about perfect. I agree with you on that. Um, but the Packers aren't necessarily beasts when it, when it comes to shutting down good running backs. So, you know, if Cam Akers can eat and, you know, he's feeling good and can kind of get going early in the game, eat up some of that clock, kind of like you were mentioning, uh, and I can't remember what game we were talking about, but, you know, if you can – oh, the Baltimore game. So if you can establish the run, kind of control the pace of the game, uh, limit the opportunities of Aaron Rodgers having the ball in his hand, you know, you, you never know. But I, I just think that the Packers have too much offense and that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are just too good um, – to lose this game. And the question that I have is how, what involvement are we going to see out of Aaron Jones in this game? Because Aaron Jones, you know, last season, NFL's uh, touchdown leader this season, great start to the year, dealt with some injuries in the middle. Then we saw Matt LaFleur kind of start to add in some different guys, you know, the AJ Dillon's getting some carries, Jamal Williams getting some carries. And part of it was, you know, them limiting Aaron Jones exposure to injury and wanting him to be fresh going into the playoffs. That's what we heard from Matt LaFleur, even preseason when, you know, the questions arose, why did you guys draft a running back when you have Aaron Jones? So we'll see if Matt LaFleur was telling the truth, you know, are we going to get a healthy dose of Aaron Jones in this game? Because he's not only a great runner, great in the goal line situations, but he's also one of their better receivers on the team. Honestly, in my opinion, he's the second best receiver that they have on that entire team outside of Devontae Adams. So are we going to see Aaron Jones, Brad, or is Matt LaFleur just lying to me? Uh, it's tough. I think that – I don't know. It just kind of depends on game flow, I think. I think Aaron Jones is your guy. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, you know, after the season's over with free agency. But AJ Dillon has kind of come along late for them, and they still got Jamal Williams in the in the backfield as well. So it's, I think this is still Aaron Rodgers that's going to win this game for the Packers. Now we may see more Aaron Jones if the score gets out of hand and it's twenty eight seven and late third quarter. Or, you know, we get a high point differential from the Packers, but I still think that the Packers are going to try to. Uh, get Aaron Rodgers his cherry on the top of his MVP uh, campaign um, with a win in this game. Fair enough. Let's move on to the primetime game on Saturday night where we will see Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, the five seed going into Orchard Park to face the Bills, the two seed. The Bills are laying two and a half points in this one, which essentially that's Vegas saying like, hey guys, we have no idea. Pick one side or the other, and then either Vegas is going to strike a rich or you guys are. Uh, I really think that this is the best matchup of the entire weekend. I'm very excited for this. I'm even more excited that it's on Saturday night instead of Sunday night. Um, there are some questionable tags on both sides, uh, both for Baltimore and Buffalo headed in. Uh, for Baltimore, Marcus Peters, DJ Fluker, and Matthew Judon uh, have the Q tags on them. Uh, for Buffalo, Zach Moss, as I had said, went on the IR. And then players like Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Ed Oliver, Trey Edmonds all have the Q tags as well. But I think you'll see most, if not all, of them play. Uh, the question I posed to you earlier, Brad, was about Devin Singletary. You know, you kind of already answered that. But what do you expect to see Baltimore throw at Josh Allen defensively to try to slow him down? And vice versa, what do you see Buffalo trying to do to stop Lamar? We saw the Bills shut him down last year during the regular season. 
Can the Bills double down on that? Or do you think that Baltimore is going to be planning for a similar defensive approach and have, you know, some different stuff to throw out there in this one? My gut tells me that this is going to be a high-scoring game, uh, something around the lines of 35, 30, 38, 35, something like that. I think it's going to come down to the team that has the last possession, basically, that's going to win this game. Um, for me, what the Ravens are going to have to do to Josh Allen, last year when they played the Bills in the regular season, they beat them 24-10, to 10, I think it was what the score was. Um, the Bills – the Ravens just blitz the heck out of Josh Allen. They beat the crap out of him, basically. The big difference between Josh Allen last year and Josh Allen this year is he's done a lot better job at picking up the blitz, feeling the blitz, being able to get the ball, or checking out of certain uh, plays or, or uh, line protections that leave him exposed in those type of situations. So he's actually played really well against the blitz this year. When he's been blitzed, um, he's got 18 touchdowns and two interceptions um, compared to and, and uh, I think a 64% completion percentage. So he's done very well against the blitz this year. I think what the Ravens are going to have to do is disguise their coverages better than they ever have because Allen has gotten a lot better at diagnosing the play at the line of scrimmage, being able to check out a certain plays. Um, they have a couple plays where they do check with me plays um, where they get to the line and, and depending on what type of signal he throws out or what um, code word he throws out, it's a different play based on that that line. So he's basically getting the line, telling his players to check with me and then get the correct play to get in the right situation. So um, for the Ravens, it's going to have to be just to disguise your coverages and play contain, basically have a spy on Josh Allen as well because he can run. He may not be as fast as Lamar, but he's uh, just as good at running the football at, for a quarterback as Lamar is when it comes to um, production. Uh, so where you're going to see the big difference is, is Allen's arm and his diagnosing this year. So the Ravens can disguise coverages and confuse Allen, make him hold on to that ball for a second longer. That's going to be a, a pretty successful strategy, especially with this Bill's offensive line, not necessarily being the greatest at, at pass protection and blitz pickup. And with, like we talked about earlier, with Zach Moss being out from a pass protection standpoint. Now with what the Bills are going to have to do against the Ravens, the Bills' defense isn't as rock solid as it was last year. They lost Lorenzo Alexander, Shaq Lawson, um, Jordan Phillips. The two; uh, those are two defensive linemen. And then not having Star Latula as well this year has really, really hampered this defense. So that's going to be big for me. I don't think that they're going to be able to shut down Lamar as much as they did last year. They're going to need to contain him, get a turnover or two. But again, I just think that this is going to come down to. What team makes the least amount of mistakes and what team has the ball uh, possession last? Because, again, I think that this is going to be a high-scoring high game. And I think the Bills at two and a half is probably pretty good line just with the way that both teams have been playing. And I just – I think Vegas sees this as a pick em, Um And I think that that's probably right. I think it's two very evenly matched teams um, – and it's just going to come down to a game plan, to be honest. Yeah, it's going to come down to game plan. I, Even though on paper it looks like it's going to be high scoring, I actually anticipate a pretty low scoring game in this one. Um, just because what I envision is, look, Baltimore, you, you know that Lamar is going to run the ball <coughs> uh, out of the pocket. 
and you know that they're going to try to get J.K. Dobbins going. So, you know, I, I envision Buffalo playing up and kind of stacking the box early in the game. And I think it's going to be the exact opposite um, of what Baltimore is trying to do against Josh Allen and Buffalo because Zach Moss isn't there. Uh, they have a little bit weaker pass protection. So I feel like they could drop an extra one or two in the coverage um, into zones and then, you know, kind of rush three or four just off the line. Uh, I don't think that there's too much of an opportunity for Buffalo to get their rushing attack going uh, unless it's Josh Allen, you know, scrambling out of the pocket. So for me, you know, it's going to come down to can the Ravens defensive backs be better than Stefan Diggs and the Bills receiving core? Um, because I think the Baltimore is going to control the um, uh, possession throughout the game because their style of rush attack, uh, which would, again, limit the opportunities for Josh Allen. And if they can kind of goat Josh Allen into some, uh, some mistakes, that's their inroad. I still think Buffalo is the better team going into this. I'm still taking Buffalo as my winner, but I see a lot of ways for the Ravens to come away with this W. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think it's just there are a lot of variables that go into it. And then weather is going to play a role, too. It looks like there's going to be snow in the forecast for the game as well. So um, that changes a lot of things. That changes the rushing attack. Can the receivers cut? Can the, can Lamar and Josh be able to plant when they're trying to run the ball as well? So a lot goes into it. It's going to be exciting. I think that this – obviously, as a Bills fan, I want to see them in prime time. But I think that this is going to be one of the most exciting games of the weekend, to be honest. I agree. Well, let's go on to Sunday. Uh, the 305 game, we're going to get the Cleveland Browns coming in as the sixth seed, and they're going to Arrowhead to face the Chiefs, who are the top seed in the AFC. The Chiefs are laying 10 points in this one, and I think that line is going to change a little bit. We just got word today, um, as of this recording, that the Browns activated Denzel Ward and Kevin Johnson off the COVID reserve list, which gives them two healthy cornerbacks, which they are going to need because Kansas City seemingly has about 78 receivers that can catch a ball at any given time. Um, they're hoping to get um, Joel Batonio back and then uh, Jack Conklin, their right tackle, as I mentioned before, day-to-day -day right now. The Chiefs don't really have too many nagging injuries heading into this one. I know that Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, and Clyde Edwards-Elaire all have questionable tags, but uh, the expectation is that they'll all be playing. So that means Cleveland should expect a full complement of Kansas City Chiefs on their matchup in their matchup on Sunday. And I don't know, Brad. Uh, on one hand, I feel like 10 points is not enough. I feel like it's a sucker bet just because I feel like the Chiefs are so good that even the best Browns performance, they're going to get beat by more than 10. Um, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to count out the Browns after what we just saw them do to Pittsburgh uh, with all the limitations that they were facing in that one. You know, it's expected that Kevin Stefanski will be back for this one. And, you know, as I mentioned, some of the players that are coming back, they should be stronger. Um, but a much stronger opponent this week, Brad. So, so what do you like in this matchup? What do you think are going to be the keys? You know, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Matt, and I'm going to say the Browns have a legitimate shot at winning this game. A couple for the reasons you've already kind of touched on. Denzel Ward and Kevin Johnson are going to be back. So they here's, here's the thing. Defense matters in this game, and it's going to help the Browns if they can get a turnover or two to kind of keep the Chiefs out of the end zone. Really the key for the Browns is to – score on offense they have to continue to do what they did last week against the Steelers who I think is a better defense than the Chiefs they have better playmakers the Chiefs biggest strength is their defensive line and what did the Browns do to the Steelers last week which their biggest strength right now in defense is their defensive line yeah Baker's getting the ball out quick you know hitting his targets letting them make plays and if you can't get to the quarterback 
a great def- uh, a great pass rush does not matter. Exactly. So the Browns are dangerous. They're basically there's zero pressure on the Browns in this game. All the pressure in the world is on the Chiefs because the Browns have nothing to lose. The Chiefs are the okay. We're the Chiefs. All right, we're playing the Browns, and are they going to slip into that little bit of a mindset where? Hey, we're playing the Browns. This is, a, you know, they may score some points, but we're going to end up being on top. You just kind of fall asleep that way. I'm looking at this and I'm saying the Browns have all of the momentum coming to this game. The Chiefs were off for two weeks. You saw what the Chiefs did against Houston last year, going down 24 nothing into the second quarter, and then they ended up storming back. The Browns just have to continue to pour it on. I think if I'm Kevin Stefanski, I'm throwing everything out of the Chiefs that I have in my book to try to get a win in this game because then once you get a win in this game, now you're playing either Buffalo or Baltimore and who knows what's going to happen from that. You know what I mean? So um, I think 10 is too much. I think this game is actually going to be pretty close. I think it'll be within a touchdown, whoever wins. Um, but you know, man, I'm, I'm feeling dangerous right now. I'm going to put it out there into the universe. I think the Browns are going to win this game. It's going to be exciting. Uh, I knew there was a reason I loved you, Brad. Yep. All right. Well, you heard it here first, Brad Mealy taking the Browns for the upset against the Chiefs. If that happens, I will drive to your house and give you the biggest high five you've ever had in your life. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, the you know, last, I don't know. Yeah, so <laughs> the last uh, the last game on the slate this weekend is the primetime matchup on Sunday night, which is at 6.40 p.m. Eastern, and it pits Tom Brady and the fifth-seed Buccaneers against Drew Brees and the two-seed Saints. The Saints are laying three in this one, and their two games this year in the regular season. New Orleans beat Tampa Bay in both of them, uh, one of them being a 38-3 shellacking, and the other one a pretty handy 34-23 victory. So the Saints get to hold that over the Bucs. But come playoff time, we know that none of that matters because all you got to do is get to the dance. Uh, Brad, what do you think is going to happen in this one? I really I, – I, I, I can't figure it out. I really don't know which way it's going to go because both the teams are pretty even on paper. And, um, you know, both of the teams can do a lot of the same things. Um, so I'm really at a loss for this one, Brad. Do you have any better insight than me? I, all I will say is it's very tough for a team to beat another team three times in one year. And mm-hmm. we're coming up on the third matchup between the Saints and the Buccaneers. And I think this is a different Buccaneers team than the Saints saw early in the in the year. Obviously, they lost Certainly. the first week of the year. Yeah. But they played very well lately. I think offensively, they've kind of figured out what their identity is and what has worked well for them. So I'm actually going to go with the Buccaneers. I think the Buccaneers are going to beat the Saints. I think we're going to see Tom Brady continue to play well, and I think you're going to see the Buccaneers and the Packers in the NFC Championship. Okay. Well, if you had, you know, you had a gun to my head, I'd probably take the Bucks as well. So I guess we'll just agree on that just to move forward because we're, we're running out of time here, Brad, but we did have a segment that, you know, we had a few more things to, but I just want to get to it this week. We'll kind of continue it next week. Uh, but we're going to do a little segment called fantasy versus reality. And in this segment, essentially I'm going to pose a question or Brad can pose a question to me. And then we'll just simply ask, is that fantasy or reality? And um, I just think it's a fun little game. So we'll end on this today. Uh, the first one I wanted to get to you, Brad, was if Dak Prescott is the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys next season, is Ezekiel Elliott a top five fantasy running back again? Is that fantasy or reality? I think it's a fantasy. Uh, I think I think we're seeing kind of maybe the, the tread on the Zeke tires wear out here a little bit. Um, he's starting to deal with injuries a little bit and maybe um, maybe some – motivation issues depending on how the Cowboys do and if Dak is back so if Dak Prescott is back next year 
I still think Zeke is going to be a top 10 running back, but I don't think he's going to be a top five. That's fair enough. Brad, the Washington football team will start Taylor Heineke on opening day in 2021. Fantasy or reality? Definitely a fantasy. I think it's a great, you know, underdog story and how he prepared in the playoffs and how he played the playoffs. But Washington will either draft a quarterback next year, and there's a lot of good ones that are coming out, or there also will be some free agent quarterbacks as well that they can bring in. Um, so, no, there's no way that Taylor Heineke is the starting quarterback for the Washington football team in 2021. Brad always loves to crush a dream. A follow-up <laughs> on Washington, the football team will have more fantasy-relevant players than any other team in their division, not named the Dallas Cowboys, meaning that Washington will have more fantasy-relevant players than either the Eagles or Giants. Is that fantasy or reality? I think that's a fantasy. Um, you know, offensively, I, I think that they will have more predominant um, offensive players fantasy-wise than the Giants will. Um, but I think the Eagles are going to return to a little bit of, of, of better days, I should say, um, than they had with Doug Peterson. Um, I think that they're going to hire an offensive-minded young coach to kind of work with Carson Wentz and kind of fix him because they're stuck with him. They can't get rid of him. Um, so trading him is not going to be the answer. Jalen Hurts is not the answer for the Eagles in 2021. It's going to be Carson Wentz. So they need a, uh, a coach that comes in to do that. They've got Jalen Rager. They've got Miles Sanders. They've got Dallas Goddard. I think the Eagles are going to have the most fantasy-relevant players, which would make that statement a fantasy for Washington. Great answer, Brad. Uh, we're actually going to get through all the ones I had, I think. Uh, we're moving through these quick. So the last two I have, Brad, Odell Beckham Jr. will be a Cleveland Brown starting in, uh, to start the season in 2021. Fantasy or reality? I think that's another fantasy. I know we haven't had too many realities here. Um, I think Odell Beckham Jr. is with a different team next year. I think you've seen how well the Cleveland offense gels with Jarvis Landry kind of being the bell cow in that offense and how well Rashard Higgins and Donovan Peoples-Jones um, compliments him in that offense. I, I, this is Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt's offense right now. And Baker Mayfield is continuing to kind of build himself back up after kind of what happened the first couple of years with um, Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens. So I think that, uh, again, Odell Beckham Jr. will not be a Cleveland Brown in 2021. Okay. And the last one, Brad, Josh Allen wins either a Super Bowl or an MVP award before the start of the 2022 NFL season? Fantasy or reality? Ooh, that's tough. Um, well, let's go with reality. I think that he wins an MVP um, award. If the Browns beat the Chiefs and the Bills beat the Ravens this week, then you know he might have a Super Bowl in there as well. I just think that um, the Bills match up really well with an NFC team this year. Um, whether it's the Packers, the Saints, or the Buccaneers. I mean, it would be poetic justice, and I'll just put this out there as well. If the Bills made it to the Super Bowl and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers made it to the Super Bowl and they went down to Raymond James Stadium in, in Tampa Bay and where Wyatt Wright happened and ended up beating Tom Brady to win their first ever Super Bowl, how – I mean, if that's not the universal lining, um, I don't know what is, but um, – I think he does win if he plays like if he continues to grow. I think he does win an MVP or a Super Bowl before 2022. I would say if you had to make me choose, I, th I think it would be a league MVP more than it would be a Super Bowl. Well, you guys hear, heard it here first. Brad Mealy just put out into the open air that the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl this year. So when they don't, you know exactly who to go and yell at. 
That is all the time that we have this week. I want to thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching FindBet. Go to FindBet.com to check out all of our newest content this week where you can find DFS lineup recommendations and betting advice for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Watch for new NBA content going up throughout the season. And remember to follow us on Twitter at FindBet underscore news and on Instagram at FindBet, just one word to know when all of our new content hits FindBet.com. Brad, any parting words of wisdom for our audience other than the Buffalo Bills winning the Super Bowl? <laughs> you put words in my mouth. I did not say that. I said it's possible. But, hey, I mean, they're, they're the last of the four teams. So, yeah, it's absolutely possible. But, mm-hmm. um, so – yeah, we've got DFS dropping on Friday, um, divisional round edition. Uh, we got some some. We did pretty well last week with our picks, so we're going to try to continue that trend going into the the second round of the NFL playoffs. Um, and then, other than that, just kind of enjoy um, sports being back. We've got the NBA being back, although it's a little bit kind of hairy right now with COVID, and yes. um, the NHL is coming back, and uh, MLB is you know there's some things happening off season as well there too. So yeah, making um, some moves. Sports are kind of making their comeback, at least to some type of normalcy here. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, hey, I want to thank you again for joining us on The Catch. And until next time, may the waivers always be in your favor, my friends. Goodbye.